Better late than never! <laughs> the following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We are at Minute One of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you doing this fine evening? Well, Brad, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed uh, with all the natural disasters we're getting slammed by here. Yes, yes, and uh, such such lively looking, not like stock footage at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting hit by a lot, you know. I mean, we're running down the we're, we're running down the screen here, and I'm seeing hurricanes, hot hail, typhoons, meteor storms, tornadoes, earthquakes, and volcanic eruption, uh, all at the same time. All at the same time with uh, unfortunately, they have handy dandy flash, basically flashcards. <laughs> just, and I'm just thinking, it's like, man. This must be a weird room they're in where they have these these 40 different natural disasters, just cards waiting to get lit up. It's not like a computer screen listing stuff. It's they actually have to have those around all the time. So that seems like a waste of space. Yeah. And I'm wondering what if the camera kept panning right? uh, What else we might have seen? Tidal waves, acid rain, blizzards, animal uprising, locusts. Who knows? Really bad opening bit on Saturday Night Live. Uh, <laughs> you know, interesting left, if at the very left of the screen, when the what's minute first starts, there, there was a word that ends O-U-G-H-T, which I assume must be drought. That really stood out to me as one of these things is not like the other, because everything else that we show is a catastrophic singular event. But a drought is a slow-build, drawn-out event that could take years in theory to really have a devastating effect ming does not strike me as someone patient enough to use a drought when attacking a planet yeah yeah it this would just be fun this would be a great scene to sort of just splice in some stuff it'd be fun you know and you're right drought's ridiculous you should replace it with like bad season of buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> or unsatisfactory star wars movie and you know <laughs> Or what did they? Uh, what did um? What did they do? Was it Noriega in Panama in the eighties? They blasted music twenty four hours a day to drive him insane, essentially to get him uh, to uh, surrender. I think it was Van Halen's Panama. Is that what it was? Really? <laughs> I, I you know what? I know that was actually a bit on the Jim Car- uh, on the pardon me, Drew Carey show, uh-huh. where at one point they were trying to get Drew out of his house by blaring Panama, and I thought that the joke was that's the same thing they did to Noriega to get him out. You know, you don't hear that sort of humor anymore, the whole blasting people with music to get them out of their house. And then, of course, the joke is on a TV show, it would be, you know, playing Barry Manilow or something like that. And then it turns out the person in the house was a Manilow fan. It's like, oh, this is great. (laughs) It's funny. There's eras where on TV shows, like they go 10 years where they just beat the heck out of a joke Mm -hmm. and then you don't hear it again. I remember like in the 70s or 80s, a lot of souffle humor. Souffle? Yeah, it was like, oh, geez, I'm, uh, be careful, don't make any noise, or the souffle will fall, or something like that. That's really odd. Yeah, every third movie, every third TV show, there was like, and, and it was like, I, I'm in my 40s, I've never seen anyone make a souffle. Who would do that? I don't think I've ever even eaten a souffle, I'm in my 40s also. 
Yeah, but at one point it was a big deal. It's like, oh, we've got to make sure the souffle will rise. And it's like, huh, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> for, for a while, the, uh, in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of blaring music at people. And it must have been because of the Noriega thing. And whenever there's like a little public story that grabs the public's imagination, it's like, oh, we got to do a twist on that. And it's like, we're going to play like a – it'll be like a lot of Bon Jovi, but the guy's a Bon Jovi fan because – People are really Bon Jovi fans. And uh, so as this minute begins, we start with uh, Ming still being menacing. We haven't seen Ming yet. We just right. heard him and seen his hands. Right. And uh, he had just been asked if he was going to destroy this planet. What, what, what is the exact line that he says? I like to play with things a while before annihilation. Man, that's a great. That's just, that's just some great over the top bad guy stuff. Oh, yeah. This is such an old school villain stuff, and we're, we're you still see this on occasion in movies where you have just the irredeemable, you know, twisting his twirling his mustache bad guy. But it seems what's more popular now is sort of the torn bad guy who really wanted to be a good guy, but he just is, went down the wrong path. Um, spe- you know, we spoke earlier about Star Wars. Uh, with uh, as we were record- we're recording this not too long after Last Jedi came out, and they're really uh, presenting Kylo Ren as just this tortured soul who can't quite make the right decision, which is exactly the same thing as Darth Vader as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, very different. But Ming, he isn't torn. He doesn't. He he he's not misunderstood. He's he just really likes being evil. Yeah, keeping with the Star Wars connection, I, that, that's the Emperor. That is, that's the same thing as Ming. He's got the just, he's evil and he just wants to rule and he's not torn at all. That, that, there's an there's analogy there. Yeah, basically Ming's a much flashier, uh, much flashier Emperor. Uh, you know, if, if, if the Emperor was somehow dressed by Freddie Mercury, <laughs> that's what you, that, there's Ming. After he says about, you know, before the Annihilation, then the credits start, and we get the awesome Flash Queen's Flash Gordon song by Queen. And man, yes, my notes just say song starts with an exclamation point. Such a good song, and we talked a, a bit during the pilot. You're a Queen fan. You've seen them not that long ago. Yes, when as we're recording this, it was earlier this calendar year. Um, they did not sing Flash, much to my disappointment. And uh, my wife had to console me. But Brian May did wear, for the Encore, the Flash t-shirt, uh, that classic, just the name Flash across with the red collar, which I have a, I have that t-shirt as well. It's a good t-shirt. It's a very, very cool t-shirt. It's such a great, so many of the visuals are so cool for this movie. Um, and just when Flash Gordon flashes across the screen, just this Great, warm, fun, throwback design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the font. Yep. Really cool font. And uh, makes a great t-shirt. And you see Flash Gordon t-shirts every now and then. If you go into any Hot Topic, you're going to find a Flash Gordon t-shirt. And it's pretty crazy because this was uh, – we we spoke yesterday. The budget for this movie was $20 million. It made $27 million, which isn't nearly the bomb I had been led to believe this movie was. Right, yeah. It has a reputation as having lost money. And I, I know that stuff always gets complicated. You, the movies sort of some uh, need to make 
twice of what they cost because half the money they make goes to um, the theaters and whatever. But this movie has never really been out of circulation. It was shown on TV all the time. It was shown on cable. uh, And it's every iteration of uh, home video, it it has been released. And it was on VHS. It was on DVD. It was on Laserdisc, Blu-ray. Whatever is the next generation, it will be out on this. They love re-releasing this movie. Yes. Yes. But but it is funny that uh, it, all that time this movie has never completely left the public consciousness, and people still love the shirts. Like they just did something right with the designs. Yeah, it fits with the you know the visual aspect of the movie itself. You know, it just it, it just the, the colors and and the design of the film, the look. It's funny. Speaking of visual design, so as the music's playing and as they're uh, showing the opening credits. They intersperse the credits with images from the Flash Gordon comic strip. Yes, great move. I was going to ask how how you like that because it it, it is first off those comic strips were beautiful and especially yes. the images they cut in. And I'm a comic book fan. They definitely have got comics have definitely gotten away from that really bright, con- heavy contrast uh, four color format, and now. They're going for a little bit more realism and uh, more muted colors and stuff. So it really is shocking just how beautiful the, the colors are and how well they pop. It was interesting. The, the one thing that and I want to talk to you about is it is interesting because the Flash Gordon co- character from the comic strip and from the serials is very different from the Flash we're going to meet in a couple minutes. Correct. He was more of an intellectual former. He was a former athlete, but an intellectual. He was like a Yale graduate and a, a space adventurer. The Flash we're going to meet in a few minutes. That really isn't him. <laughs> he, he's definitely a likable goofball and a bit of a yes, exactly. Very naive. Very naive. It seems like a guy who's been hitting the head a few too many times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to your point about the comic art, I mean, I didn't. I'm not familiar with the comic strip at all. I did not read it, um, but I loved that they had that anyway. And I was trying to think, other than Spider-Man 2, which had art depicting what had happened in the first Spider-Man movie, I can't think of any other comic book-based movie, and you consider how many comic book movies there are these days, that has done that, that has had the art running through an opening title sequence like that. The only thing that comes close to me is Marvel has its logo that comes on before their movies start and there's the quick flashing of all the drawings, but that that's that's not the opening title sequence. That's just the Marvel logo. So other than Spider-Man 2, I don't know if you can think of anything else, but it's the only one I could think of. I'm going to go on a deep dive and I have one. It is a terrible, terrible movie. It was sort of still campy fun. The sequel to Swamp Thing. Wow, never saw the sequel, only saw the original. The first Swamp Thing was a pretty straightforward horror movie. Right. The second was a campy superhero corn fest. It was very much, if you had an episode of the Adam West Batman show and just replaced Batman with Swamp Thing. Um, Very, the, the fight scenes were really over the top and a lot of like weird just haymakers and very Western style punching. And they got rid of the horror aspect. It was just guys in like cheap looking rubber costumes. And the, the movie started with swamp thing, getting into like a, a, a fist fight with another vegetable monster creature guy. 
winning the fight, and then it goes right into the uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival song, Born on the Bayou. Oh, there you go. Sure. Okay. With images from Swamp Thing Comics overlaid that. And, man, it felt like they played the whole song, so it was like three minutes. (laughs) I was like, wow. You know, there's no stars in this movie, and it doesn't have, like, a big-name director. I don't think we need to know all – spend this long – seeing all these people's names because it doesn't mean anything. Padding a movie that maybe only was 80 minutes long or something. And uh, it's definitely a movie that nobody cares about, but uh, <laughs> like Flash Gordon, it did have a lot of scenes from the comic strip, so or, or comic book in that case. So that, that's the only other example I can think of. I, I think it's a thing where, I bet it's a thing where the studios, even when they make comic book movies, sometimes they want to downplay the fact that they're comic book movies they they don't want you to like be comparing the characters to the to that or i don't know trying to trick people into not knowing that it's a comic book movie it's like eh, you know it's super it's superman we know yeah i think I, I think back in like the 80s and 90s I, I definitely think that was the case i think nowadays comic book movies are so big now but i think now you get with they probably want to downplay because you get the geeks like me who are going to watch a movie and say well, that's not what he did in the comic books back in 1984. In issue 207, he actually does this and not that. And so you want to, they need to appeal to the broader audience, which is reading more comic books now than they used to. But still, they want to definitely keep it. So, well, you know, this isn't the comic book, you know, you geeks are all reading. This this is, you know, our interpretation in this movie. Yeah. And which, which Flash Gordon does the same. Yeah, yeah. As we go over the course of the movie, you know, we'll... We'll touch on some of the differences between the movie and the original comic. A lot of interesting choices, uh, it, and we'll go deeper into it. It's crazy how different Flash is, and then it's also crazy how similar Ming is uh, in the way he's uh, designed. It's like, wow, you know what? Mm-hmm. Especially now, in 2017 or 2018, when this uh, episode is released, I think we would all have understood if they would have uh, changed his look around. <laughs> I think if the movie were made today, they almost certainly would. So, yeah, there's the- and it's interesting in the credits it's, he's referred to because uh, that happens in this minute he's not Emperor Ming it's the Emperor Ming oh and I found that oh he's the Emperor Ming that, that's when you really really are the Emperor yeah it's oh excuse me <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to mix him up with you know an Emperor right exactly he's the Emperor Ming you know we're, we're seeing a lot of opening credits uh and the one opening credit that uh, popped out of me was uh, Dino De Laurent- uh, Laurentiis. Yes, presents. Yes, he is the he is the producer. And uh, it's funny the the last uh, movie by minute uh, that I was uh, associated with was Army of Darkness, the third in the uh, Evil Dead tri- uh, series, uh, also produced by Dino De, uh, De Laurentiis. Oh, so you are then you're a real Maven. Apparently. <laughs> And uh, it was just funny. It's like, well, it, and this is a producer that, and you go over his filmography. He 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 does a lot of genre stuff, a lot of horror stuff, and uh, he he's a guy who always a little bit off the beaten path and knows how to like find some of the sort of lowbrow but still really awesome entertainment and be associated with it. Yeah, he 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 produced or co-produced more than five hundred movies. Uh, so I'm I, I can't even fathom how many movies per year what that works down to but you know you know like the genre stuff you said right he's, he's got army of darkness and dune the arnold schwarzenegger conan movies barbarella several stephen king movies from the early 80s but then he also did serpico 
you know, so something doesn't fit there. He also did Raw Deal, which is another uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Uh, he did Hannibal, the sequel to uh, Silence of the Lambs. Right, right. So, yeah, he, he, he was varied. Yeah, it, really interesting career and uh, just the, the amount of content. Seems like an old school guy where he's just going to yeah. keep churning stuff out and figures out how to make stuff that, that makes its money back. Uh, not going for prestige necessarily, just trying to find the cool, fun stuff that people will, will turn out for. Um, it, you know what? Not a bad way to make a living. No, no. Although it's funny, um, in one of the interviews that I saw with Mike Hodges, the director, and we'll get into him, I guess, next minute, or the minute after, whenever his name pops up in the credits, um, he told a story about one of the reasons that he thought the movie was just destined to fail. Dino De Laurentiis wanted Fiat to come design a motorway on the set. And director Mike Hodges said, well, there's, there's nothing in the movie that this calls for. What am I supposed to do with this? And he said, no, no, we, we, we've got to have it. And, and he had Fiat design a motorway on the set. It was never used. Nothing to do with the movie. But then Mike Hodges says when he would, he would clash with them and say, Dino De Laurentiis would say, well, how many movies have you made? And he said, oh, I've made about five or six. Or, well, I've made 300. So yeah, it, it, <laughs> that's, the, that's the card that trumps everything. Is like, I've made a lot of these. Yeah, you know, uh, as this scene goes, as this minute goes on, a lot of Queen music, more stock footage of stuff falling down. <laughs> Remind me a little. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Tim Burton film Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. Early in Ed Wood's filmmaking career, he just had access to a lot of stock footage. It's like I can make a movie around this. It's like uh, there's an earthquake, and for some reason the buffalo were nervous, and then. You know, they show the stock footage of an earthquake and then some buffalo running. And he, he made it a movie because that's all he had access to. It's like, <laughs> feels a little bit like that. It's like, hey, we have more earthquakes. Let's just show the earth shaking and buildings falling down. And we'll say that they're exploding, even though they're obviously a controlled implosion, which you mentioned yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and more goofy flashing signs and more signs going off. And uh, it's just obviously not a lot happens but this minute and makes me smile and i think that's what i love about flash gordon this movie it makes me smile all the time absolutely uh anything else that popped out at you for this minute well just some facts about the song the song is officially called flash's theme and there actually are technically two versions of it there's the one that's on the soundtrack the one we're listening to now but i had um 20 years ago i had a best of queen greatest hits cassette and the version that was on that had snippets of dialogue throughout the movie of it though so there's technically two different versions it's the same exact song musically but just one's got clips audio clips of the movie played over it and one doesn't um it was the only single released from the soundtrack of this movie and in the u.s it hit number 10 and stayed at number 10 for three weeks and in the uk it only reached number 42 that's something that used to happen pretty frequently uh this the single from a movie being released with clips from the movie which just sounds like a terrible way to listen to a song yeah how can you get into the song uh the last time i remember that was a bruce springsteen song that was featured in the movie jerry Maguire. i'm not letting you get rid of me how about that i'm a smart wife i love you 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 had me at hello. You had me at hello. It had. It was released as a single with clips from, and it was 
clips of Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger just whispering sweet nothings at each other that were from the movie. And at the end of the song, it's like, you complete me. And I'm like, first off, it wasn't a great, I'm a Springsteen fan. Wasn't a great Springsteen song. It definitely felt like one of those songs that he recorded, didn't really like, and then was offered a lot of money to provide a song for the soundtrack. Um, and then you're listening to radio. It's like, there's no way to get into this song with dialogue being read over it. And it's like, this, this is just a terrible, terrible idea. So yeah, when Springs when Springsteen plays that live, are they pumping in the uh, the movie sound bites over him? Oh, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, I, well, first off, I just don't think it's a song that I don't think it's a song that makes it into Springsteen's concert rotation. <laughs> I know, I, I, yeah, I might be wrong. I've uh, I've uh, never been to a. I, while I like Springsteen, I've never quite made it to a, a, a Springsteen concert. I, it's, from my understanding, that's something that you should do. Even if you have like moderate fandom, you should see Springsteen because he's one of these guys who's an amazing performer. I'm going to have to take people's word for that. I am not a fan of the boss. No, no. Yeah, fair. Well, actually, uh, Eric, where are you broadcasting? I, I think our listeners would like to know where we are. We are coming from. Sure. I am. I'm, Live from Brooklyn. See, uh, and I am from, uh, I'm coming from Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, about the middle part of uh, the state, uh, about an hour north of Baltimore. Okay, yep. An hour north of Baltimore and probably 40 minutes west of Lancaster, so I see Amish people often. Oh, I, we, we, we have taken two vacations with our children to Dutch Wonderland and Lancaster and that whole area. Really? Okay. Yes. Very cool. Yeah, I, uh, I I work. Surprise, folks! This isn't our day jobs. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Yes, <laughs> purely yeah, volunteer. Yeah. This basis. is this is a hobby that costs us money. Not a uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but during my my day job, I am about probably ten minutes away from Dutch Wonderland. Oh, okay, that's great. Yeah. So, uh, and to the people who aren't familiar, Dutch Wonderland is a um, pretty big amusement park. For kids, mostly for little, for younger kids. Yeah, it's not Disney World fun for the whole family. It's definitely you you take your kids there and they have a great time and you wait till afterwards and then you treat yourself a drink to toast being a good parent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what else? Uh, what else popped out at you from this minute? What What else uh, popped out at you from this minute? Uh, I just uh, my only thing left is I love that this minute ends on a flash in the song because it means our next minute is going to start with an ah and so that's uh, that's a pretty awesome split. Yeah, as I said, there's so many things about this movie that makes me happy, and uh, it's it's not a particularly impressive uh, lyrical song or anything like that. It's just, <laughs> but uh, first off, Freddie Mercury is an all time great uh, vocalist. Yeah, one of the five greatest voices I think I've ever heard, sure. Okay, now we're going to have to go. Do, do you have the other four off the top of your head? Uh, okay, yeah, I, I stepped into that one. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's see. Uh, older David Bowie, like from the Starman, Life on Mars, uh, Space Oddity days. This is ground control to Major Tom You've really made the grade And the paper 
Faith No More, so Michael Patton. If people don't know who he is, they sing Epic. He's like, you want it all. So uh, I love that. Another favorite band of mine, Midnight Oil, their lead singer, again, very distinctive voice. Beatles are my favorite band, so I'll go with Paul McCartney. That's good. That's a, that's a good five. What do you got? Uh, Jeff Buckley. Just an amazing singer, uh, probably best known for the song Last Goodbye. And if you ever have a chance, you should listen to that song. Just uh, an amazing, amazing vocal performance. And it's funny, he passed away after his debut album. And I think it was uh, it's a sh- it was tragic that he passed away as young as he did because his next album was going to be amazing. His first album seemed like it, it was him figuring himself out. 
and had one or two amazing songs. And you just have a feeling that like his next song was going to be him sort of turn, leaning into what made him great on those few songs. And let me see who, who else uh, is in that upper echelon. Uh, you know, Freddie Mercury, as you say, it, I, I can't think of too many people who were even in that uh, stratosphere. A guy who, um, and a, Maybe he doesn't have the greatest voice in the world, but uh, has a good voice and is a really smart singer. Ben Folds. Huge Ben Folds fan, and also a little-known guy who had an amazing voice. Uh, passed away, gosh, ten years ago in relative obscurity. Almost broke through, but never quite did. A guy named Chris Whitley. You could feel his soul when he sang. Let me see. So that's four. And I guess five, I would say Chris Cornell. Yeah, sadly, I, I think I'm uh, too much into tortured souls. <laughs> but yeah, that's also the sadly that's the way these things go. Because you think about it in your five, uh, you know, Bowie no longer with us, and right. uh, or poor Freddie Mercury no longer with us. It's right. like uh, it, it turns out being a singer is a terrible, terrible life choice. You you, you just might not make it. Well, there's that whole age twenty seven club that they always talk about. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think think Jeff Buckley might have been 27 when he passed away. Ah, uh, see, there you go. All right, very cool. Well, uh, this has been a great minute, but I, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to, to continuing it tomorrow. Uh, you got anything else, Eric? That's what I got. All right, well, folks, uh, it's been a real fun minute. We're going to be back tomorrow. And remember, no matter how bad it gets, Flash will save every one of us. He will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. <laughs>